So I was once taking a taxi from JFK, John F. Kennedy Airport in New York to Brooklyn to Crown Heights, which is a very Jewish neighborhood. And as, as is often the case with taxi drivers, they not, not so uncommon for it to be an immigrant from another country. And so their command of English is um, not the best, but as I always remind myself, I can't speak any words of their language, but they can speak English pretty well, as well as their, their home language. But in any case, sometimes it comes out funny. Um, and so what happened was, as we're coming closer to Crown Heights, the driver says, yes, yes, I know this neighborhood, too many Jews, too many Jews. So first I was like, whoa, is this guy, is another anti-Semite over here? Too many Jews. And I realized he, he thought it meant there are a lot of Jews living here, too many Jews, too many Jews. So it became a joke. But I was reminded of that in this week's, in, in today's, with today's verse that we're about to read, is that there is a Hebrew word over here, Rav Lachem, where God tells the Jewish people, there's a verse 6 of chapter 1, verse 6 of chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, God says, or Moshe says, the Lord our God spoke to us at Chorev, which is Mount Sinai, saying, Rav Lachem Sheves Baharazeh. The translation here has, you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. So basically God is saying, it's time to move on. And what is the Hebrew word here? Rav Lachem. So Rav, you might think of Rav as a rabbi. So Rav can mean a lot. Harbe means a lot. We had it in the story of Korach where Moshe tells uh, the children of Levi, Rav Lachem Bnei Levi, it's enough for you, or it's a lot. So that's one interpretation of Rav, means a lot. As Rashi says, Kipshuto, it's the simple meaning is you've been here long enough, time to go. Which, by the way, the, the spiritual lesson from that, as the Rebbe derives, is that we always have to be growing and going to the next level in our, in our uh, spiritual advancement, in our divine service. We can never become satisfied with the plateau that we've reached. And if we realize there's a higher plane to go, We've got to go. Rav Lachem Shabbos. You can't get too comfortable around the mountain, even if it's the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, Chorev. You can't get comfortable over there. You have to continuously grow. And a secondary lesson is, second lesson is that you can't remain in the cocoon at the at Mount Sinai. You have to go out there and get the word out. So that's the first interpretation that Rav Lachem means a lot. It's quantity. You've been here a lot, a long time. But then Rashi cites a Midrash. A Midrash says that I have given you much greatness. So Rav Lachem is not the time, a lot of time, but there's a lot of greatness. So we're talking about quantitative greatness, not, I'm sorry, qualitative greatness, not quantitative, not time, but, but quality. And so Rashi has two things, Gedula Visachar, greatness and reward. So um, from, from, from dwelling at this mountain, you have a lot of greatness and reward. And what is that? Rashi defines it. Asisem Mishkan, you built a Mishkan, tabernacle, which, in, which includes a menorah, the kalim, and instruments. 
Kibaltem Torah, you received the Torah. You appointed a Sanhedrin. You appointed judges, one for a thousand, one for a hundred. So because of all of this, because of all of this, you are ready, This, as the Rebbe explains it, you're now ready to go into the land of Israel. You have the preparation for living a divine life in the material world. Why? As Rashi says, you built a Mishkan. The Mishkan is kind of this focal point of where God's presence is revealed, and particularly in the menorah, because the menorah had the miraculous event where the, the Ner HaMaravi, the western lamp, which is the second lamp as you enter the Mishkan, you enter from the east. So the western is the one right after the one closest to the east, so it's the second lamp, the Ner HaMaravi, and that was always remained lit miraculously. And you receive the Torah, which of course has the, is the manual, and you have appointed the Sanhedrin and the, and the judges of a thousand, a hundred, which are the ones who are going to implement the wisdom of the Torah. So you have all the materials, you have all the ingredients ready to go into the land of Israel. But Rashi says two things, as I pointed out. Gidula, greatness, visachar, and reward. What is this reward about? So the Rebbe explains it, that we're going to see that Rashi tells us in the next verse that, I'm um, sorry, two verses from now, that if the Jewish people had gone into Israel at this time without having made the detour of asking for spies, they would have gone into Israel uh, without, without having to lift a sword, so to speak, because the people would have, would have uh, vacate, vacated and recognized the truth that this is the land of the Jewish people, and they wouldn't have put up a fight when the Jewish people came in. So it would have been a completely miraculous takeover of the land of Canaan. However, because the Jewish people showed a lack of faith, and they said, oh, we want to send spies, we want to do this in a more conventional way, because of that, they ended up having to go to actual war. So what Rashi is saying here is that they had everything they need, both they had the, the ingredients, the manual for living a, a, a divine life in the land of Israel, in the land of Canaan. They also had the reward, the sakhar. They also had the spiritual merit to be able to go in and the people would recognize the truth and everything would go smoothly. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way. Verse 7. So at that time, right, this is a retrospective. We have to keep rem rem reminding ourselves that this is not Moshe telling them what to do now, but telling them what happened. So he says, turn and travel and come to the Mount of, of Amorite, and, of the Amorite Mountain and Kolshchenov and all of its neighbors in the plain on the mountain, the lowland, the south by the seashore, land of the Canaanites, the Lebanon, until the great river, the Euphrates River. Rashi here is another beautiful Rashi. Where he says the Euphrates River is called the Great River. Why is it called the Great River? Adhanahar Hagadol. Is it just a big river? Is it the greatest river that gets to be called the Great River? It's not. Says Rashi, the reason it's called great is qualitatively it's great. Why is it qualitatively great? Because it is mentioned along with Eretz Israel, along with the land of Israel. It's associated with the land of Israel. That's why it's called Gadol because it's the river associated with the land of Israel. And Rashi gives a popular parable. He says that Eved Melech Melech, a king's servant is a king. Eved Melech, the servant of a king, 
Melech is himself a king. In other words, when you're associated with greatness, as he says, associate yourself with the ruler, people will bow down to you. Attach yourself to a person anointed with oil, and you will become anointed with oil yourself. That if you connect yourself to greatness, you yourself become great. So the Euphrates River, which is connected to Israel, is called the Great River. And of course, the lesson there, in that the, the, the um, first of all, to, to attach ourselves to righteous people, to good people, but also to connect ourselves to God in a very deep way without any interposition, without any chatzitza, when we become connected with God and, and a servant really of God in an absolute way, we attain greatness. We become great. We don't become nothing. To the contrary, we become great because we've attached ourselves with the ultimate greatness. Verse 8, behold, see, see now, I have given you the land of Israel, come and inherit the land that God promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Rashi will point out, why does it say to again and again? It could just say to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That would be more efficient. But it says, no, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. And Rashi explains the reason for that is because it's trying to say that not only is it in the collective merit of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together that the Jewish people are going to merit the land of Israel, but even in the merit of each one by himself, just Abraham or just Isaac or just Yaakov, we would have merited the land of Israel. So certainly in the merit of all three together, and to their descendants. Rashi explains, what does it mean, see, I have set the land before you? Rashi says, you see it with your own eyes. I'm not telling you something about guessing or hearsay. The way the commentaries explain it is that they saw, as we as we learned in uh, two days ago, that they had taken this 11-day journey in just three days. So they saw already that this is a miraculous, miraculous things are happening in relation to their entering of the land of Israel. Boyu Rishu says Rashi, no one will contest the matter when you enter the land of Israel. You don't need to go to war. And if they had not sent spies, they would not have needed weapons at all. They wouldn't have even had to brandish a weapon. Verse 9, I told you at that time, saying, So now Moshe is turning to the story of the appointment of judges, as, we, as you recall, from Parsha Yisro, Jethro, that Yisro told Moshe, this is not going to work, where you are... Uh, the, oh, the, the sole judge of the people. You need to delegate. So uh, uh, Moshe says, I cannot carry you alone. So first of all, Rashi says, Lema, what does that tell us? That Moshe is saying, this wasn't my idea. God is the one who told me to do this. But what does it mean that I cannot carry you? Rashi says, is this possible that Moshe, the one who took them out of Egypt, the one who split the sea for them, the one who brought down the man and the, and the meat, the birds, the, the quail for them. He would not be able to judge them. What, what is he saying that he cannot judge the people? Rather, what he's saying is, Hashem Elokeichem God made you great. Okay, so this is going to be the next verse, verse 10. Rashi's jumping to that and he's saying, the Lord your God has multiplied you. But Rashi's interpreting it not as multiplied again. <laughs> what does it mean? Too many. Um this this vague is it quantitative or qualitative? So he has his, his, his quantitative multiply, but Rashi is saying here, qualitatively, I've made you great. 
and behold, you are the star, like the stars of the heavens in abundance. So, so what does that have to do with the earlier verse? Rashi is saying that because I have made you great, the Jewish people have this special status. They're like princes. Therefore, it adds an extra onus upon the judges of these people that if they make a mistake, and as the commentaries explain, even inadvertently make a, a faulty ruling, they have a heavy price to pay. So that's what he's saying. I cannot carry you because as we say in verse 10, God has made you great. You are a very special people. And so even an inadvertent mistake carries a high price for the judge. Verse 10, Lord, your God has made you great or multiplied you. Behold, you are today as the stars of the heavens in abundance. Says Rashi, were they in fact like the stars of, of heavens on that day, there were only 600,000. So what is he saying? Behold, today you are like the stars of the heavens. In the future, maybe. But today, says Rashi, you have to interpret it. Behold, you are like the day. What does it mean you are like the day? That you are eternal like the sun and the moon and the stars. So again, even, the, uh, even what seems like the quantitative, that you're like the stars of the heavens, Rashi interprets as quality. You have the quality of these celestial beings of the day in that they are eternal. Verse 11, the Lord, the God of your fathers. Now this is a blessing. May the Lord God of your fathers add to you, Yosef Aleichem, a thousand times, a thousandfold. You should be multiplied a thousandfold. He will bless you as he spoke concerning you, you. Rashi says that the people told Moshe Rabbeinu, why are you giving a limit to our blessing by saying a thousandfold? Sounds like a good blessing, but really you're limiting it because God already told Abraham that God says you're going to be innumerable. You'll be un unable to be like the dust of the earth. So you cannot even be counted. And you're saying only a thousandfold. You're selling a short Moshe. So Moshe says to them, I'm not taking away from God's blessing. I am adding. This is my own blessing. And God is going to bless you as he told you. And I am adding to this. According to one of the commentators, Maharik, what, what's happening here is that the God is speaking about in the times of Mashiach, and Moshe is talking about in the times prior to the days of Mashiach. So that concludes our study for today. That means we got through the first Aliyah pretty good. It took us three days. And we will open it up to questions and comments. Um, Rabbi, I was thinking um, that... It seems like there's an overarching kind of message in all this about greatness that we can attach ourselves to greatness and therefore become great. But we have to be very careful because that greatness, if it's coming from that person's ego, a lot of people's greatness comes from their ego, celebrities, politicians, all kinds of people, that that the greatness doesn't have to come from their, their basically their subservience to God. And therefore, their greatness comes through that. And unless we attach to that kind of greatness and find that within ourselves, we, we are not finding greatness. 
exactly. And, and that's a great point. And it connects also with the mistake that the Jewish people made um, that, was, that is mentioned in this Aliyah in that, you know, they're told you're going to go into the land of Israel. You're going to conquer the land of Israel. And it's going to be God is going to take care of it. The king is going to take care of it. And they should have just left it at that and stayed out of the way. Instead, they kind of disconnected themselves from that greatness and tried to, to do it on their own. Say, oh, let's figure out how we would do this. Let's send spies and so forth. And so they, in fact, lowered themselves and brought themselves into a conventional world in which they did have to fight a war. They still won, but they lowered themselves. So, yes, you know, the, the, it's the, ironic, the irony, you know, you think of it as humility. Oh, you're becoming nothing by being subservient to God. But in fact, you're attaining the ultimate greatness. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. Yes, go ahead. You said yesterday in verse three that the speech was started to be delivered on the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month of Adar, which is a month and a half before Pesach. And uh, of Shabbat, not Adar. I'm okay. And you said that, um, uh, I'm sorry, you then said that Moses passed away on the seventh of Adar. And, I, and my question was, I thought the speech was 37 days, but you just corrected it. Right, yeah, yeah it, I made a mistake on, on the, that it said Adar. It should be Shabbat. Shabbat. Yeah. So Adar is the 12th month and Shabbat is the 11th month. Thank you so much. Sure. And yes, you basically answered almost my question when, when you talked to Bill. But uh, when uh, when Moses uh, Moshe Rabbeinu sends he sends spies to to the land, yeah, not themselves. They 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 self volunteer to go there as spies, you know. So this does doesn't it consider like his sin or something, you know, that uh, he didn't uh, have full trust, you know, in Hashem. Right. Well, the people the people came to him, and he'll, he'll recount this later. The people came to him and said they wanted spies. Right. It was the way it's, the way it's described in the Barim is that the people mm -hmm. it was the people's idea, and he went along with it. And the way Rashi explained, he said, "Well, if I'll say yes, I'll show that I'm not afraid for the inspection." Yeah, sure, inspect. And then then you're hoping that there won't be an inspection because you're confident that you'll pass the inspection. So that's what's happening with Moshe. He's saying, yeah, sure, we could send spies, but he's hoping that they'll back out of it. And then he asks God, what do you think? And also he said, you know, sending the spies will, he thought that that would have a benefit. But the very fact that they were asking for the spies, that itself already was uh, a problem. Okay, thank you. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Okay, any other questions or comments? Going once, going twice. Okay. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been another wonderful Torah lessons. Torah lessons. And we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.